Okay, it's uh, almost midnight, 11.55 on Tuesday, July 14th, going into the 15th. I'm waiting for uh, the minutes to roll over to see if I get paid. <laughs> Direct deposit. Uh, this is Mike Booty, and I, I do a show called The Midnight Citizen. I've been doing shows pretty consistently uh, this summer. Podcast is what you want to call them. Uh, that that term comes from back in the day. There used to be these uh, you know little MP3 audio players that you would carry around in your pocket uh, called an iPod. Uh, and uh, there were all there were also other companies that made these MP3 players. There was a uh, Zune, is that a company that made MP3 players, I think? Anyway, like uh, a lot of companies were making these things, but but Apple was making the iPod. That was the big one that uh, was marketed really well and that everybody had an iPod and a video iPod, and, and I had an iPod. And uh, around 2004, uh, people started to record, you know, little audio files and putting them on the Internet for a download to your uh, iPod, and uh, these were these were called podcasts. <laughs> but, uh, of course, uh, there are no iPods anymore. There are no video iPods anymore. Everything is on phones or computers. I mean, there's a million and one ways right now to get uh, an MP3 player. Sorry, that's my dog there sitting out on the porch right now. There's a million ways to get an MP3 player right now. And they are no longer uh, called pods. But nevertheless, the, 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 the term podcast lives on. So when I started doing the Midnight Citizen Show back in 2010, uh, iPods, uh, I had a video iPod, and that was still very relevant at the time. Although iPhones have been out for a couple of years. And uh, in the 10 years since I've been doing the show, they've very much been phased out. But here I am still doing a podcast. I would prefer to just call it a damn fine show. <laughs> Izzy, stop. Izzy. So. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I did my show pretty consistently from 2010 to 2017, and uh, and then I and then I stopped, and uh, because I got a job that took up a lot of my time, and you know, I got a teaching job that took out up so much of my time, so I just had to stop doing the podcast altogether. So. There was also that and just the anxiety of starting a new job. I kind of didn't want them to, you know, do, you know, uh, just working with kids and all that. I didn't want kind of the stigma of having to, you know, teach publicly all week long and then go home on the weekend and do a private show and have the kids, you know, listen to it and start talking to me about things that I was talking about on the show that don't have anything to do with my profession. So that was something that I was... uh had a lot of anxiety about teaching, but 
And, uh, you know, I would have kept on doing that. I, w- I would have kept on just working my job and not doing my show. And, of course, this year we had this little pandemic happen, this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus crisis happen uh, that forced everybody inside back in March and uh, ended up giving me, a, like, a lot of... Uh, I wouldn't say free time on my hands because I was still teaching. Uh, we were doing virtual school and I was teaching for my house. And uh, in order to teach for my house and, and get really good sound going for the kids in a way that would not pick up the dogs every time they barked like is happening right now, I ended up pulling out all my old uh, podcasting equipment, my mixer and my microphone that was, you know, it was just de- designed to get the voice right in front of you. That's not the microphone I'm using right now, but, uh, so yeah, I ended up getting up all, uh, out all that podcasting equipment and, uh, using it to teach my classes. And I decided that uh, now that I'm just here and uh, I've got all I have to do is hit record, and I just started recording podcast again. So that was about a month and a half ago. And uh, I've recorded, I think, uh, what was it, five shows so far this year. And I've taken the last couple weeks off, not because I, I wanted to, but just because circumstances dictated that. But I've had a really good time recording podcasts this year, and uh, they've all followed a very specific uh, format. But I thought I'd come out here and just do uh, an old-fashioned show where I I just record anything that comes up, comes into my mind. I'm not using notes or... um, One thing that teaching is, you know, teaches you to do is it teaches you to be incredibly organized. And so this summer, uh, I've been really meticulously organizing all of my shows. Uh, I have not been, you know, as you know, or maybe you don't know, the Midnight Citizen show is a it's a night radio kind of show. Uh, the kind of show where I, I come on and I uh, just monologue and talk about things that are on my mind and kind of explore the mysteries of culture and the universe and uh, not to be too grandiose but uh, uh you know it's it's not a show that is centered like a lot of podcasts are on like movies or music or any specific topic you know true crime i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those podcasts but um you know i think i think pe- you know people uh pigeonhole themselves a lot of times by uh just searching categories when they want to listen to podcasts. And I, I just want to hear what's on people's minds. And I think a lot of times people, you know, who do like a movie podcast, let's take a movie podcast, for instance, you know, they'll talk about things that are on their minds, but then they'll forget to talk about movies. So, you know, you just downloaded a movie podcast to hear somebody talk about, uh, you know, sitting in traffic today. So, um, you know, but I was always just, really interested in doing a, a night radio monologue type show like, uh, you know, Gene Shepard used to do in the uh, 60s and 70s. So that was my idea. 
And so this summer, I've been doing these studio shows where I will sit in my studio and I'll uh, sit sit at a microphone and I'll have notes in front of me that kind of follow just an outline format of everything I'm going to talk about. So that way, if you download my show, I want to be able to guarantee you that I am actually, I, I care about the content and I care about your time. I know your time is valuable as a listener. And if I tell you that I'm going to give you a show about these topics then I'm going to talk about those topics and uh and and so that you can turn on you know you can read the show notes and should you decide decide to listen to the episode you know what you're going to get and you you will be surprised by some of the things that I say and some of the topics and and all that but it's not like I'm you know give bringing you into a universe that you have already mapped out in your brain before you press play but I want to be able to organize, have an organized list of notes and, and things. And I also play music so that I can take a break throughout the show. And uh, I play some videos and, and, and I do the show live. I've been, I've been every episode that I've done this year so far, I've, I've done a live stream of it. So you can watch it on YouTube as I'm actually producing it. And uh, when it's all said and done, I, I, I do very, very little post-production. Because I want to retain as live a feeling as I possibly can. I may bump up the levels on some of the stuff and, you know, something that didn't get mixed right, you know. But other than that, just the content, I will never, ever edit the content. You know, because it it taints the nature of the show, which is to capture the thoughts of somebody who is up very, very late at night. <laughs> so... Uh, but I've I've had a I've had a blast uh, doing the show so far this summer, and I just thought I thought what I'd do because I was going to do a show out here on the porch this past Saturday night. So I'm every year my parents usually around mid July will go out of town on 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 a vacation, and uh, my wife and I will usually go out of town on vacation too. But this year we just couldn't because of not even really because of the pandemic. Well, it is because of the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is still going on. You still have to wear a mask everywhere. And uh, it's just a very, very bummer time to live in, uh, quite honestly. It's just such a drag to live in 2020. Uh, But what's even worse, though, is that the, the pandemic caused my wife to lose a lot of work. And uh, so we're just spending the summer not being able to spend any money. I wouldn't say that we're broke. <laughs> Yet here I am. It's uh, five after midnight, and I'm, I'm waiting to see if my paycheck's coming in. It has not yet. So, <laughs> um, But, yeah, my, my parents, though, were able to go out of town. I'm very happy for them, so I'm house-sitting for them. And uh, they have this nice house that's out in the suburbs. It's got a wonderful porch. I, do, I don't have a porch at my apartment in the city. And it overlooks some woods, and I'm able to sit out here at night. It's very humid. I'm going to turn the fan on in a minute. But I've got a fan. And I thought on Saturday night, what would be more fun than just sitting out on, on a porch in Alabama in the middle of the summer and uh, recording a show and uh, live streaming it and so it'll be like anybody who tunes in, you know, it'll be like a, a party here on the porch, a, a Saturday night porch party. You know. 
And uh, I brought all my equipment over here, totally prepared to do a full studio show in the field, you know. And uh, and it just failed. There were all these technical problems, and I won't go into it. If you want to see the whole drama unfold, you know, go to go to my my Facebook page, The Midnight Citizen, and you can see all my live videos that I recorded that night. You know, I had some people watching, and they seemed to be kind of disappointed, but I, I appreciated them understanding uh, that just some things don't work out sometimes. I mean, I, I worked for about an hour and a half to really try and push through and, and, and get it going, and it just wasn't happening. So, um, But I had all my notes made out. I was totally you know, prepared. I had written a story for it. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I had written a story for it. it just, I had all the stuff ready to go. It just didn't work. So... So I just called it a night. I, I unplugged my computer. I took everything back inside. Took my mixer back inside, my microphone, my computer, everything. And uh, just sat, on the, sat out on the deck and, uh, and smoked a cigar until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and uh, I think that was like a deal that I made with myself when I decided to start doing podcasts again. It's just, if it, 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 it's okay for it to feel like work. But if it begins to become too stressful and, and, and monopolizing too much of your time, then just take a step back and just, you know, and you know because you want to enjoy it. I've already got a job that takes up a lot of my time, and, and podcasting is a hobby. I take it very seriously. It's a very serious hobby, like the people who put those little ships into bottles. I mean, if I do a podcast, that, you know, for you to listen to, I want to make sure that it's good. I'm not just doing it for my own vanity. I'm making sure that I have something to say, something uh, for you to consider, you know, interesting topics. Um, so I want to make sure it's it's well done. And I think I've always tried to do that with this show. So, um, so the plan right now is to uh, this Saturday get back to doing podcast uh, again in the studio, starting at eleven o'clock Central Standard Time, and uh, and uh, just going. Usually, I'll go until about one thirty or so. That's with my uh, pre-show, post-show, and in the actual show itself, and uh, and that's what I'll do this Saturday. So, but. But I felt really bad, though, about going two weeks in a row without recording a show. So I thought I'd just come out here and maybe just do like a midsummer type of show. Not like midsummer, like the festival where people go and dance and, and take acid and jump off cliffs and all that. If you saw that movie, whoo, boy, that was a bad, that was a bad movie for Norwegian tourism. Let me tell you that much. Oh. Midsummer, yikes. Um, but, uh. I just thought I'd come out here and uh, record some of my thoughts on doing podcasts this summer, uh, you know, explain some of my ideas and, and what I've been trying to do, and um, also just talk about a few things. I don't know. Some things have happened this week, so, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, welcome to uh, the Midnight Citizen Show from Birmingham, Alabama. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. I'm your host, Mike Booty. And uh, that that's the point generally in the in the show where I would fade up the music and give you that real night radio type show feel. But I don't have that right now, so you'll just have to take my word for it. 
and uh, hear all the crickets and the frogs. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, th- this summer, uh, what I've been trying to do uh, is, with, with my podcast, is provide a document of what it's like to live in this uh, truly oddball year of 2020. Um, you know, you've got this pandemic, which is like this global crisis of uh, public health. You got this um, disease that they didn't have a cure for. They're trying to find a vaccine for it. I guess they have found a vaccine for it. Um, in Alabama, living here in Birmingham, Alabama, where I am right now, I, I'm essentially trapped in my state right now. I, I, I really cannot leave. Um except to go to maybe one of the other high infect high high infection areas in the country you know the the um coronavirus numbers are so high and rising um every day here in Alabama that that if an, for an Alabama to for an Alabamian to go to almost any other state in the union that they, they would really be persona non grata uh if they did not self quarantine for 14 days they uh would would will be imprisoned you know so it's a really just a weird time to live um you know and uh last night i, I went with my friend jason to the drive-in movie theater and i and I, I i've been talking a lot about on the show how i think that this crisis as bad as it is could actually have some pretty interesting effects for culture uh specifically pop culture right now we are Taking a break from movies, you know, in the, in the 130 year uh, span of, of motion picture filmmaking, there have been there has not been a single year where movies have slowed down. You know, now now during World War Two, that was kind of I guess you could say movies took a took a weird turn with a lot of uh, a lot of famous filmmakers in Hollywood were dedicating all their services uh to to the war industry you know you had a lot of people actually going to war uh and 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 leaving hollywood behind uh to fight for our country or make propaganda films for our country but this is a time though where where like we are truly taking a break from movies there has not been a new movie released in a theater in four months and um here on the show a lot, I talk a lot about the drive-in, uh, which is uh, was invented in New Jersey in 1927 at a gas station as a, as a way for the guy who owned the gas station to drum up some extra business, you know. And um, drive-ins have always been a very distinctly American phenomenon. Um, something, you know, they, of course, proliferated throughout the 50s and the 60s. They, they started dying down in the 70s and becoming very seedy places. And they've been dying down ever since. But this pandemic seems to be bringing them back. A lot of people seem to like the idea of going and sitting in their cars or sitting in their you know, uh, hatchbacks or sitting in lawn chairs and watching big outdoor movies. And and that's what I did last night. My friend Jason and I wa- went to this place called the Grand River Drive-In, which uh, two years ago, it was owned by a company in Texas, and they went out of business. And so... They shut down the drive-in, but, of course, they just left this huge, vacant lot about the size of uh, 19 football fields. Um, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. It's about the size of 19 football fields. Uh, four screens. 
They just left it. Well, I don't know how you leave a lot empty, a vacant lot empty, but they did. <laughs> it's a big, it's just a big place, and um, with four screens there. So the shopping mall where where they left it uh, took over ownership, and they were supposed to open up like last March, and they kept on pushing it back and pushing it back, and everybody was getting really angry at them, me included, because it's like, as somebody who's actually started their own drive-in before uh it's really not that difficult to uh to get a to get a projector a digital projector because companies don't release movie like film prints anymore so basically they send the movie to you on a drive Um, i don't really understand why it took them so long to to reopen when they allegedly had all the equipment already there Uh, i'm sure there's a, a lot of stuff that we weren't told and uh as companies often do, but, uh, but yeah, that last year, I remember they were supposed to have this big 4th of July opening with movies and fireworks and, uh, and bands and barbecue and ends up, they had everything. They had all that stuff. They had barbecue band bands and, uh, putt, putt golf and <laughs> all this stuff, fireworks, but they didn't have the movie, which seemed to me like that was the easiest thing to, to, to do. A lot easier to, uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier to push play on a projector than it is to smoke a brisket. So I, I don't understand. Um, but yeah, my friend Jason and I, we went last night and we saw uh, Jurassic Park, which is a movie that came out 27 years ago. And uh, of course, I've seen that movie many times that we were sitting there just kind of off to the side there wasn't anybody around us so we talked through the whole movie and uh talked about that movie and talked about how the fact that apparently right now jurassic park is uh, number one in the box office (laughs) 27 years after that movie came out it's number one because uh drive-ins all over the country are showing it and uh, then after that we saw the invisible man which is uh pretty much the last movie to come out in the theater before the pandemic hit that's the uh, number five grossing movie so it's weird that a new movie that came out this year is four places behind Jurassic Park at the box office. That's very odd. You know, but uh Hollywood has all these movies that are just sitting on the shelf right now and uh nobody's going to see them until next year. <laughs> and I was just thinking that man, that's so interesting that we really are taking um a break for movies right now. And I I think we need to because uh, one complaint that I've had about movies for the last uh, several years is uh, that Hollywood makes them so fast that they just don't think about them. You know, they make movies in order to keep the rights to them, to, to the properties, to the intellectual properties Uh, They make the movies because there's this uh, insatiable hunger on the internet among fans for them. And uh, again, it's, it's like that line in Jurassic Park. Uh, You know, you, you were so preoccupied with the fact that you could make it, that you didn't stop and think that you should. And uh, (laughs) that's what Hollywood does. So, and right now I think people are just pausing and and they're, they're uh, appreciating. They're like that kid at the toy store whose parents tell them, you know, you could get something new today or you could save your money and go home and just appreciate the toys that you have. 
And uh, I think that that's what we're in a state of doing right now. We're appreciating what we have rather than what we're going to get. Because one of the things that you hear so often these days is you you hear a bunch of kids going to see, like, the Avengers and uh, thinking that, you know, like, Ant-Man's really great or, or, or this new Iron Man's really good. But I heard that in the next movie he's going to be fighting Captain America or whatever. You know, people go into movies watching them as, like, episodes rather than movies, rather than films, and uh, not really thinking about, not appreciating what they have right now, but just thinking about what's coming next. And um, that that's just a sign of the times, a sign of a culture that just cannot slow down, that cannot stop to appreciate what it has in its hand right now. And uh, when you do that, just the, the quality of everything thins out. So... So I, I'm I'm truly hoping that uh, when we come out of this 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 drag of a summer and of a year, um, that we start to appreciate a little bit more um, what we can make. I don't know. <laughs> now, uh, again, my my friend Jason uh, came over tonight, and uh, we were sitting down and looking for a movie to watch and uh you know and uh we we were watching a we decided on the movie Three Kings which is a movie that came out in 1999 and 1999 was a big year for me and I didn't even realize it until we were talking about it of course Jason and I whenever we watch movies we usually choose movies we've seen a bunch of times and and we know the lines to but in this case I hadn't seen Three Kings probably since I was in high school Okay, that movie came out when I was, uh, I think, a senior in high school, or a junior in high school. and uh, But I was still, I was able to watch the movie and still talk to Jason at the same time. Um, but 1999 was such a big year for me because that was the year that I turned, uh, uh, I, uh, that was the year that I, I turned 17. I think that's right, yeah. I turned 17 in, in 1999. So... The reason that was such a big deal is because I could suddenly go see R-rated movies and not have to worry about, oh, am I going to get in or not, or whatever, you know. I was able to get into R-rated movies before I was 17, but I, I still look young today. Like, I'm 37 years old, and I still get carded for uh, this beer that I'm drinking right now. <laughs> it really depends on whether or not I shaved yesterday that I get carded or not, but... uh yeah, before I was 17, I, I was it was so stressful going to see an R-rated movie because I always knew that there was a very large chance I was not going to be able to go see the movie, you know. So I would obviously have to find ways to go to see the R-rated movie. Like I would buy a ticket to the to, to the uh, Disney movie and then I would sneak into the uh, Dimension Films movie. So <laughs> um, it didn't always work. No. And sometimes I was very honest. Remember one time I uh, I wanted to go see Lethal Weapon 4 really, really bad. That movie came out when I was 15. I wanted to see that movie so bad. And I went, and uh, my mom dropped me off along with my friend Clayton, and we went to the box office and nonchalantly like, yeah, two tickets for Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah, we were 17. <laughs> and they said, uh, where's your parent or guardian? <laughs> so... They didn't let us in. So I bought a ticket to the Nutty Professor, 
which is the last movie that I wanted to see in the entire world, The Nutty Professor. You know. And uh, we ended up watching The Nutty Professor because I, uh, I don't think I had the cojones to try and sneak into Lethal Weapon 4. Even though a couple years later, I ended up working in a movie theater, and that's the last thing on our mind is enforcing who's in the movie theater. We don't care at all, you know. Uh, so anyway, what was I talking about? <laughs> uh, but yeah, 1999, though, that was a big year for me because I turned 17 in September of that year. So I could suddenly see all of these R-rated movies. So a whole uh, branch of movies that previously was closed to me uh, was was open. Branch, no door. And 1999, my friend and Jason were coming to the conclusion as we were talking about it, was probably the best year for movies that we've ever had, um, at least in my lifetime. And... Uh, just in the terms of like you've you had an amazing amount of uh truly groundbreaking movies that came out that year uh movies that had creative vision movies that were unique and original not just in their storytelling but in their acting in their cinematography and their in their use of music and sound uh you just had so many movies that year and i just don't think i i like appreciated it i figured like oh i'm 17 all r-rated movies must be like this or whatever so so yeah we were we were talking about wait some of the movies that came out that year 1999 so like three kings was one of them which is this fantastic movie with uh george clooney it's directed by uh, david o russell who's a guy who's like uh, done a lot of movies that I do not like at all. But uh, Three Kings is a great movie about these uh, American soldiers in the days after the ceasefire was signed between America and Saddam Hussein uh, during uh, after following the Gulf War. And they find out that there's this bunker of all this gold bullion that Saddam Hussein stole from the Iraqi people. And they decide to go and steal it. But along the way, they begin to rescue all these Iraqi refugees and trying to get them to the border with Iran. And it's a very funny, very satirical uh, movie with a lot of really great action in it. And just the kind of movie that I, I just, like, I could not believe what I was watching tonight. Like, I mean, when I saw that, I remember seeing that movie with my dad when it came out 21 years ago. And that was one of the movies that just really clicked for me. Like, man, I think I really like movies. You know, that was one of them. So some other movies that came out that year. You know, that was uh, the year of uh, uh, that was the year of American Pie. Big movie, obviously for me, uh, as a as a seventeen year old you know boy um, going to see American Pie. Uh, that was the year of this really great movie, Election, with Matthew Broderick, a great satirical high school movie about a a teacher that tries to uh, fix uh, a student election for student council. Very, very funny to me, especially now because I'm, I'm the faculty advisor of the student council at my school, just as Matthew Broderick is in that movie. Um, I don't think I'm as corrupt as he is, but oh, maybe a little. I don't know. Uh, yeah, what other movies? So you had like The Sixth Sense, which is obviously a big movie that year, the movie where Bruce Willis, uh, well, there's a big twist at the end of that movie. And I saw that movie the last day that it was in theaters 
As a matter of fact, that that's the theater where I saw the trailer for Three Kings. So uh, Sixth Sense was a uh, was a PG thirteen rated movie, and uh, I remember working at Suncoast Video actually, and a bunch of people kept on coming in and talking to me about how great the Sixth Sense is. But they told me, "Oh, there's a twist for it. Look out for the twist." <clears throat> and uh, obviously, that's very stupid to say, <coughs> because. Um, as soon as you tell somebody there's a twist in a movie, uh, they're going to start looking for it the second it starts. And five minutes into that movie, I was like, ah, damn it, I know what the twist is. And I was right. <laughs> I was right. It's still a good movie, though. Uh, on its own merits, actually. My wife and I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and that was the first time I had seen it since I was in uh, high school. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah, what else? Uh, what else came out in 1999? Uh, the Blair Witch Project, of course. The Blair Witch Project, which that movie just scared the hell out of me. And even now I'm nervous talking about it, looking at the dark, dark woods in front of me. <laughs> uh, Blair Witch Project was made for something like $100,000 and it made millions at the box office. And of course, everybody at school hated it. Um, and uh, there were a lot of people at the school who said it was real, that these kids really did die in the woods, and now there's a company making millions of dollars off of their deaths. <laughs> you know? uh, but I remember just going to that website, you know, the BlairWitchProject.com, and uh, just pouring over it for days and days and just obsessing with that review, just getting so excited when that movie came out. And I was not I was not 17 yet when that movie came out, when the Blair Witch Project came out. And uh, I had to try and go see that movie. So here's what I did. You know, I had a car because I could drive, you know, and I had a car. So I, I went to uh, two local theaters to try and go see the Blair Witch Project at a certain time. And I had to plan out my my day to make sure that if one theater would not let me in, that I could go to the, another theater and catch and catch the next showtime. So I really had to be very strategic. So I, you know, cut the clipping out of the newspaper. And, uh, okay, this show starts at 11.40, okay? I'll go there. If they don't let me in, I can go to the next theater about 20 minutes away. That show starts at 12.20. You know, so you just had to be strategic about it. And what I would do every single time is I would walk up, I would park, and I would walk up to the box office and I would set my keys down on the counter in front of the ticket, to, in front of the box office. And I would be like, one for Blair Witch Project. My thinking would be that, okay, they see my keys, so they assume that I'm 17. <laughs> you know? And it did not work with two theaters. <laughs> yeah, how old are you? How old are you? You can't go see the Blair Witch Project. You know? <laughs> and I finally drove to the theater that nobody ever goes to anymore at least not anybody from the suburbs and out of the wildwood and they let me in um and from then on any r-rated movie i wanted to go see up until i turned 17 a month and a half later uh i, I just went there because i realized that they were so desperate for business and they just did not care there at all they just didn't care so i i went there so yeah i saw the blair witch project and uh just sat there in the theater all by myself it was a packed house and was utterly just terrified throughout that throughout that entire experience especially since the fact that i was sitting alone and there was a guy in the theater who i noticed 
I was hyper aware, as you should be when watching a horror movie in the theater, if it's good, of my surroundings. And this guy kept on getting up and moving, you know, from seat to seat throughout the film. And I was so paranoid <laughs> that this guy was going to, like, do something. I was really, really scared about it. So. But he didn't. All right, what other movies came out in 1999? American Pie, Election, Three Kings, Six Cents, uh, Blair Witch Project. Yeah, you had Being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich, one of the strangest independent films uh, of all time, uh, about a guy who, uh, played by John Cusack, who discovers like a portal in his office that goes into, allows you to be John Malkovich for like 15 minutes. Like literally control John Malkovich's actions and see his world and, you know, the actor John Malkovich. It was such a strange movie. I did not see that in the theater. I, I, I don't think I did. I, I saw that uh, when it came out in, uh, it, it, to rent, and I ended up renting that movie the next year. Uh, but being John Malkovich, was, which was directed by Spike Jones, who was actually in Three Kings. He was one of the Three Kings in that movie. So that was a big year, and I think Three Kings was uh, Spike Jones's first movie. He was married to Sofia Coppola, and he was a big music video director. You know, he directed uh, the Buddy Holly video by Weezer, and he directed, uh, uh, you know, some of my favorite music videos of all time. Uh, I always, uh, every year when I'm teaching my film class and I'm talking about short films, I'll usually show uh, the Chemical Brothers, um, I think it's called Electro Bank, the music video with the girl who's doing gymnastics and all that to demonstrate, you know, short filmmaking. Uh, so yeah, Spike Jones was in three Kings. That was his first movie that he acted in. And then the first movie he directed being John Malkovich, I think actually he got an Oscar nomination for that movie, uh, for directing. So, and then what else, uh, in 1999, you also had like, um, the talented Mr. Ripley, uh, American beauty, which is the movie that won Best Picture that year, which uh, I had a big back and forth the other night with my friends Jason and Alex about American Beauty, about whether or not that movie still stands up. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't seen it in years, but uh, that's a movie with Kevin Spacey, so obviously there's a, it's a little uncomfortable watching that, anything with Kevin Spacey now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but back then, I mean, I loved, I loved that movie. I mean, Kevin Spacey was my favorite actor. Uh, you know, he won the Oscar for that movie. Uh, it was a... You know, but that movie was, I really think American Beauty is the genesis of a lot of entertainment that we have today. Uh, if you think about it, because uh, American Beauty and The Sopranos on HBO both both started, they were both in 1999. And so the idea of both of those movies is that you will take these, this family and you will, and that was the, uh, that was the tagline for American Beauty, look closer and if you think about it, every single TV show now, like a big drama on HBO or, or whatever, is all about looking into a family that on the surface seems okay, but under the surface there's all this minutia going on. There's all this torment and drama and, uh, and terror and, uh, and all that. And I think American Beauty was really the first movie that popularized that. And a couple of years later, after American Beauty, the guy who won the screenplay award at the Oscars for writing that, his name's Alan Ball, came out with a show called Six Feet Under on HBO. 
and six feet under was another game changer in just taking a typical American family and looking at all the tangential characters in their lives and, and getting under the surface and cutting to the bone and, and finding out what makes people tick. And, uh, and ever since then, you know, every, every single show is about that, uh, really. So, uh, raw and, and, and cutting edge and, and all that to the point where, you know, it's obviously a cliche and a trope now, but they keep doing it anyway. So, yeah. What other movies in, uh, 1999? Oh, we had, uh, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, <laughs> which I remember seeing in the theater. Uh, we also had a little movie called Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Yes. My God. <laughs> uh, saw it opening weekend twice and uh, thinking it was so great. Of course, I had waited for it for so long. Not nearly as long as people who had seen Return of the Jedi in the theater, which I hadn't. But, of course, that was the biggest movie of the year. And... Uh, Everybody just went head over heels over it for about two days. <laughs> and and then the fans started talking to each other and picking apart small little things that they didn't quite like. I like Jar Jar Binks, you know, but his accent. And then it was like the levees at New Orleans broke. And just everybody started to just shit on star wars and it has not stopped since and uh <laughs> 1999 was like uh the 911 of pop culture um maybe i should that was kind of i don't know maybe shouldn't have said that but uh, you know anyway see that's an example of a line that a the that a lesser pop a podcast host uh would have uh cut out in in post production but no i'm i'm leaving it in i'm leaving it in so but yeah 1999 was just a such a similar year and i really did think having a car and being 17 that every movie that i was going to go see that year was going to be like this <laughs> you know it was just an endless cycle of great movies and uh and now I, I'm just I'm so it's so unlikely that I'm I'm going to go to a movie theater and just be blown away. And I don't think it's because I'm cynical. I don't think it's because I've seen, you know, so many movies in my life that I'm just I'm I'm underwhelmed by anything. I'm not at all. I've seen a lot of great movies in the last five years, um, but they are getting fewer and farther between each year. I mean, uh, if. If you really want to watch anything good these days, you got to go to television. Um, and even television is starting to dry up, honestly. There's, uh, like I said, I mean, so many television shows now are just uh, kind of using tropes, recycling tropes from other shows, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, this character is really a homosexual, but he's not telling anybody, and that's adding tension. That's a trope that is constantly on, on television shows, is that a character is really gay. And uh, it's like, you know, okay. Uh, anyway. So. Um, but I will say uh, today was uh, one of those days where uh, I didn't have anything to do. And I, I've been teaching summer camp this summer, but uh, this week we, uh, we've been off. And uh, taking care of the 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 dog and the cats over at my parents house uh, I 
went up to uh, Barnes & Noble today, which is a bookstore that's open right now. Um, you've got to wear your face mask. And I don't like to go out too often unless I absolutely have to, but uh, every year it's a tradition around this time in mid-July to uh, go to Barnes & Noble because they will usually have a 50% off sale of uh, Criterion Blu-rays. So Criterion is this company, and I'm sure I talk about them every summer, but uh, Criterion is this company that releases really great editions of classic, somewhat obscure movies. Occasionally they'll come out with like a big studio movie on Criterion. Like I remember when I was working at Suncoast in high school, they came out with a Criterion edition of Armageddon, you know. But mostly they're overlooked films that deserve a second chance. And the packages will come out, and it's like getting a film school in a box. Uh, you'll get movies with, uh, like, great format transfers, uh, remastered. You'll get commentaries and interviews and behind-the-scenes features and, and all that. So uh, I always really enjoy getting the Criterions because it's a way to kind of just pledge my undying devotion to a certain movie that I really like. And there's a lot of people that I know who will go to the, go to like a Barnes and Noble and uh, they'll just blind buy a ton of Criterions during the 50% off sale, knowing that, you know, they can basically get two really good Criterions for the price of one. And that's absolutely true. But they'll just blind buy things. And I've blind bought Criterions before and, you know, most of the time I end up very happy. Sometimes I don't. Like, I ended up one time blind buying David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch. And uh, I, I that's the only criterion I've ever returned. I, I could not get rid of that thing fast enough. That was, I just, it was a bad idea. I'm sure a lot of people out there like Naked Lunch. But I, I don't like anything about that movie. I don't like anything about that book. William S. Burroughs. Oh, God. Um... I don't know. Maybe I just haven't stopped to appreciate him. But uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people just buy, blind buy things, which is uh, kind of what you're supposed to do with Criterion's. Because like one thing that Criterion is known for is the packaging and the cover art. They always have really unique cover arts. They don't just put the movie poster on there. They do some kind of artist rendering, and they commission artists to do them. And and so they're always really interesting, and they they make you almost rethink your perception of a certain movie. And so, uh, so you get them. So I, I have a pretty good, uh, collection of criterions. I, I probably own about 20 of them or so that I've just collected over the years. Uh, and most of them have come from, uh, buying them every year at Barnes and Noble during July. And they'll do another one at December, these 50% off sales, you know, so I went up there today, and I, uh, I, I got something that I've been wanting for quite a while. Um, and I almost never, ever buy a physical media anymore at all because I just simply don't have any place to store it. But for Criterions, I make an example. And, and honestly, I've gotten it down to the point where I will not buy Blu-rays or DVDs anymore. No, get them out. Hey, I don't need them. They, they take up too much space in my house. You know. So the only two pieces of physical media I will get a year uh, other than books uh, are a Blu-ray when it 
one during the summer in July, and and usually my wife will give me one for Christmas. Like last Christmas, she got me uh, on the waterfront. You know, so great movie from 1954. Um, so. This year I got Slacker by Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater uh, is most known for directing uh, the 1993 film Days to Confused, which is also a Criterion uh, that I picked up a few years ago at one of the uh, 50% off sales. And uh, Richard Linklater is uh, just a great American filmmaker. I I really, uh, buying Slacker and then bringing it to my uh, parents' house uh, today and plugging it into the Blu-ray and... uh, just watching that movie just made me realize like how much I, I really do think that Richard Linklater is one of these uh, filmmakers that's just got his pulse on the American feeling of the 1990s. Um, if if I can kind of explain what that means a little bit, so um, you know, Dazed and Confused is obviously a movie that takes place if you haven't seen it, 1976, in uh, in the suburbs in and around um, Austin, Texas. And um, it's about a bunch of kids who are just out of school. It's the last day of school, and basically they spend the all the, they spend the whole night just going around, you know, smoking marijuana, drinking beer, playing games, uh, and just talking about nothing in particular. And I remember seeing that movie when I was uh, going into high school. When I was in the eighth grade, I actually saw that movie uh, the last week of eighth grade, and a major thing in that movie is uh these eighth grade kids who are being introduced to high school life so that was obviously a big deal to me but even more so is just seeing this movie and seeing the way that the the guy who i found out wrote and directed the movie richard linklater is so interested in just the minutia of 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 life and the way that most of us will spend like few of us will really spend our lives accomplishing things every single day, you know, doing amazing things. And, and that's something that we just have to deal with. Most of us are here to just kind of keep the world going, maybe build a little bit of security for our lives and, and, um, and be good people in our community. And maybe we will change the world in little tiny, little tiny ways, right? But most of the time, what we're going to spend our time doing is just kind of consuming and and talking and, and trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe that we're never, ever going to be able to solve or change. And that's what Dazed Confused really said to me when I was 14 years old. Uh, and yeah, just watching these characters just not really they're just deciding not to participate in anything they're just there just to kind of fill time and uh and and just go through the night so that they can get to the morning and so that was so interesting dazed confused and so in the next few years i really uh, i just watched dazed confused a lot but when i started to really get into film in the in the in high school I found out about this movie Slacker, I think from like watching IFC, the independent film channel or something, back when they weren't showing that 70s show 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't know what in the world's going on with that channel now, but it's not anything having to do with independent or film. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, 
but yeah, I, I uh, so the the idea back then is that if you if you got this movie in your head and you couldn't get it out, you had to go rent it, right? And so there's like 30 billion video rental stores all around town, and they all have different libraries. So if you really wanted to go rent a film, you would obviously start at the one closest to you. And if they didn't have it, then you would go to the second one that was closest to you. And then you would just fan out, and pretty soon you were in freaking Clanton, Alabama. <laughs> you know? So that's what I did, and I did that more than enough times. I, I wanted to go find Slacker, and I remember one very hot summer day in the summer of 1999. I really wanted to see Slacker. So I got in my car, and I drove to my closest movie gallery. They didn't have it. I drove to Blockbuster. They didn't have it. And then I started just fanning out, you know, kind of the same way I would like try and find a movie theater that would let me in to see an R-rated movie. Um, I would just find uh, any rental store I, that I, I would come across. And, and I think that day I ended up going to something like 10 different blockbusters and movie galleries and finally finding Slacker on VHS. And bringing it home and putting it in and just thinking it was, uh, it was a really good movie. Not as good, good as uh, Dazed Confused because the movie is just about, it's more aimless than Dazed Confused. And uh, it, it's not as funny either. It's a lot more meditative and a lot more serious. Um, but it's still fun and it's still funny and it, it's still got really great lines and characters. Um, but watching it today... I just thought, man, this is this guy's best movie. It's so good. Um, and essentially what it is is that um, it, the movie itself is about an hour and 40 minutes long. And in that hour and 40 minutes, you get three to seven minute snippets um, of, uh, of the lives of 100 characters on one particular summer day in Austin, Texas in 1989. And so the movie starts with a guy getting off a bus played by Richard Linklater and he's getting into a cab and he, he's talking to the cab driver about how he had a dream on a bus about how he was, um, a roadie for Frank Zappa. And he was talking about all these other dreams that he had. And he was saying that like, he says that, his theory of dreams is that it's basically glimpsing into other realities should you have taken different routes. And so, like, he kind of uh, equates it to, like, the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy could take any path down the yellow brick road, and each of those paths would go into separate realities. So any moment that you make a decision in life, you're creating a reality, but those other realities are happening in simultaneous timelines. And so... That's and then Richard Linklater gets out of the cab and he pays the cab driver and uh, he walks and then he witnesses a hit and run. And then the camera leaves his character and goes to the life of this guy who, you know, did the hitting. And you find out that he's a guy who, you know, just killed his mother and he's watching all these home movies of him growing up and his mother teaching him how to ride the tricycle, and then he's arrested, 
And once he's arrested, somebody who sees him being arrested goes off and they go into their own reality. So in the movie, the whole movie is like that for an hour and 40 minutes. It goes all the way from in the very beginning of the morning to uh, night and then to morning the next day. And uh, there's no big names in the movie at all. It's just made by all these people who were in the Austin film scene and the acting scene and the, the music scene in the 1990s. And so uh, just watching this movie the other day, I really don't think that, or today, I don't think that I've ever seen another movie that just so perfectly encapsulates a specific time and a specific feeling. Um, And uh, even though I wasn't there in Austin in 1990, I was alive somewhere in the world. I was living in uh, Moody, Alabama in 1989 and 1990. Uh, all the stuff that was taking place there, and uh, and that movie really does make you feel the same way I felt in Days Confused. It makes you feel like you were there with your characters, like you are one of these people, you know, uh, just trying to survive this hot day, just going from place to place, um, and talking about endless things like politics. There's, it's a very Gen Xy movie. They have all these Gen X conversations that. Kevin Smith does and Quentin Tarantino does, you know, where the pop culture melds into uh, discussions about philosophy and politics and religion. And uh, there's one moment in the movie where a character wonders if uh, kids watching Scooby-Doo and and are just kind of being conditioned by that show because of the way Scooby gets Scooby snacks. They're just being conditioned to do things for minimal and trivial reward, you know? So, and these are the kind of the conversations that you have when you're young and you're in college and you're overeducated and you have a job at a coffee shop and you feel like your mind is worth more than all of the people out there who are driving Lexuses. And uh, it's just, it's a certain, it's such a specific feeling that that movie really does capture. And uh, it's a fantastic movie. But yeah, on the Criterion Edition too, though there is also another movie on there called uh, "You Can't You Can't Learn How to Plow by Reading Books," which is Richard Linklater's first movie that he made a couple of years before Slacker, and that's a that's a great movie in its own right. I watched that one today as well, and that movie is um, Richard Linklater was the only guy who made that movie. It was him carrying the camera, setting up the shots, doing everything, and. Essentially what it is is he starts out in Texas and then he just decides to ride around the entire country. Maybe not the entire country, but, you know, he rides to California, San Francisco, Colorado, and he goes to all these different places, Montana. And the movie is just about him on a journey. And there's probably in the hour and a half long movie, maybe about 100 words of dialogue in the entire film. But I sat there this afternoon because I didn't have anything to do because I was being a slacker myself. (laughs) I watched uh, Slacker all the way through once. And then I watched You Can't Learn How to Plow by Reading Books. And I was getting such a specific feeling watching that movie that I decided to watch it again. I was watching the movie that I didn't even buy the Criterion for. And that's kind of what happens when you buy these Criterions. A lot of times you just end up completely immersed in the world of this film you know in the filmmaker and i watched the movie all the way through twice you know with that this time with like the director's commentary on you know so 
you know, I only have like one or two of these days a year where I'll sit down and just be in front of the television all day long watching a DVD or a Blu-ray. But uh, today was that day. Um, because I just think like Slacker and, uh, you know, you can't learn how to plow by reading books and Days to Confuse. Um, they just have this feeling when I watch them of a lot of things that I kind of feel is going on right now with, uh, with culture and the way that we are in society. And I'm going to start sounding like a character from Slacker. And, and that's what I wanted to say before also is that my trip from video store to video store in that hot summer day of 1999 looking for the movie Slacker could have been a vignette in the movie Slacker. I could have been a Slacker. So... <laughs> But I was I was definitely like that, though, at that time in my life, though. I, I was part of the underpaid American underclass, um, you know, working a job, finishing school, finishing high school. And then, of course, I was in college and doing pretty much the same thing, feeling like my brain was worth something, feeling like I was worth something to the world. But I was too afraid to really seize an opportunity to change it because... I didn't want to be pigeonholed by a corporation or, or anything like that. You know, uh, Say Anything, which is a movie that, with John Cusack, it's a, a much more a bigger studio film that came out the same year as Slacker was made in 1989. You know, John Cusack has this great Generation X line in that movie where he says, I don't want to buy anything sold or processed, sold anything bought or processed, or processed anything sold or bought. And uh, that's such a a great line that encapsulates how the American youth was feeling in the late eighties, early nineties. And, and certainly that drifted over to my generation. I was born in 1982 and I'm what they call an early millennial born just, you know, after generation X and too early for the millennials. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what I, what I feel is that pop culture was so strong and left such a strong impression on the children of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, like, we had such amazing output of creativity um, due to certain political and social factors that were going on in the world that... Now it's almost as if we're in the state of arrested development and we simply cannot move on because we're so hung up on these things. And, um, you know, I was talking with some people the other night. I was talking to some other podcasters here on the Overnightscape Underground Network at onsug.com. Quick plug there. Um, that, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I was, I would go onto the porch, a porch like I'm sitting on now. And my dad would be out there with some of his buddies and, or some neighbors, or like maybe my uncles, and they would be discussing presumably what looked to me at the time adult topics. I don't know what they were talking about, but they would always tell my cousins and I or my friends and I to go play. And we would go and play Star Wars, or we would play Indiana Jones and, and all that stuff. And my dad would be on the porch talking with his friends about, I don't know, like, 401ks or golf or something like that. I don't know. But see, here I am now, though. 
I'm the adult myself. I'm I'm the age that my dad was that time that he was shooing me off the porch and getting me out of the way and you know. And I I'm 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 talking with my friends. We're still talking about Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And uh, we're we're we just have this arrested development quality to us. We can't we we it's like there's something missing. Like are we I don't know if we're really adults. I don't know if you can like obviously we look like adults, we act like adults, we we pay bills like adults and and do all these things, but there's a certain quality to us that we're still obsessed with the same things that we 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 argued with you know over at the lunch table 30 years ago. <laughs> I, I you know I don't know. But I I I think that getting back to like Slacker and Richard Linklater's films that that's that's what it's all about that's what they're all about they're all about these people who see events and they can't jump in and 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 add their own input or do anything all they can do is stand back and just observe and offer their thoughts as if their thoughts are the product of their whole human existence and it's not i mean if everybody did that we would be in a heap of trouble as a nation and a, in a, in a, in a race, the human race. And, and maybe we already are. So, uh, I think it's no coincidence at all that one of the very first scenes in slacker is when a woman is hit and killed and nobody seems to want to do anything about it. Uh, one person does go off to call the police, but other people just kind of, Go around her like this lady famously jogs up to the to the dead woman lying in the street and she just continues to jog. She doesn't stop. She doesn't check and see if the woman's okay, anything like that. And and then this businessman stops and rather than get out of the car and check on the woman and ask if anybody saw a license plate or is calling the cops, he gives his card and starts to hit on the woman who's jogging. And that's just such a good uh allegory for uh where a lot of human culture has been for the last 30 years is that we're non-participants we we see things happening but we don't want to jump in there and and offer our input we'd rather let somebody else somewhere in the universe solve the problem and that may be a little bit nihilistic and cynical but i think that you know you you kind of have to face facts i mean we live in a very nihilistic in cynical time, we have to acknowledge that before we can kind of jump in and uh, and solve problems. I don't know. I don't know. We're talking. So, yeah, this is going to be a short episode tonight, you know. Um, I've been talking for about an hour and six minutes. And um, drinking my yingling here out on the porch on a... Birmingham Tuesday night, now Wednesday morning. And, uh, yeah, all I want to say is that I hope you've been enjoying my show, which is, uh, again, I, I, my thoughts on that show are the output. They are the product. <laughs> but, I, I mean, again, I, I hope they offer some something to the universe. Um, I don't know. I think every everything anything that you could do that's creative that kind of uh, puts things together. I'm not necessarily saying my show is incredibly creative. 
because it's me talking, but by structuring it somewhat and, 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 and trying to think about the topics and themes and all that, I, I do try to, I think that that is a, a creative endeavor to do a, to do a podcast or an internet radio show or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, this summer, another thing I've been doing is uh, I've been writing a bunch of short fiction. I haven't necessarily been acknowledging it as short fiction on the show because I don't want to quite take you out of it. Um, but I created this town called Viscaga, Alabama, which is kind of based loosely on a bunch of uh, small towns that are within about 30 miles driving distance of Birmingham that I've been to and I frequently visit. Just these uh, small hometowns and uh, all the characters who live there. So far, I've written uh, five stories. I've read four on my show, and I've got another one in the can. I've got I've got one finished. I was going to read it this past Saturday, but um, Jesus, <laughs> you know, uh, technical problems. So I will read it this Saturday on the show. You know, I wanted to have one show, I guess, where I don't read an episode, and I guess this is it. So. But I'll read it this Saturday. Um, but you can you can find all those stories um, on uh, on my website at mikebooty.com slash writing. Um, Tales from Viscaga, Alabama. And I, I did I put a lot of effort into all of those and and uh, I, I think they may not change the world, but I think again, anything that you can do that requires creativity and thought in some way, you know, is good for the universe. You know, it, it I don't know. So anyway, um, I'm going to end it there. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, this is Tuesday. I will see you on Saturday night for another podcast. Okay. Um, If all goes well, this will be released Wednesday night, um, July 15th. And I will also have money in my bank account. Okay. Keep your eyes open.